and welcome. You are listening to an episode of the Sales Chat Show. To stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success, please visit saleschatshow.com. We really hope that you enjoy and benefit from this episode. So hello folks and welcome to yet another episode from the Sales Chat Show, saleschatshow.com, driving your sales forward. With me in the virtual Sales Chat Show studio, uh, Mr. Phil Jessen and Mr. Graham Jones. Mr. Jones has just revealed in a previous episode that he is currently wearing a pair of flippers under his desk. Uh, Phil's footwear is unknown at this precise moment in time but i can report i am barefoot so now we've got the sales chat show foot situation clarified you will have to listen to the uh, episode that we have just recorded on uh, the problems your sales team will face if they return to in-person selling to understand the context of that are you do you still have your flippers on graham or um have you changed in between episodes do give I, us an I, update I, I love his slightly nervous look at the moment as you were doing that introduction he hated it <laughs> Um, I always have them on, of course. Excellent. Never a day goes by without them. No. <laughs> enough, enough of this nonsense, gentlemen. Uh, this episode is entitled, What are the three make or break questions you must ask as a salesperson? So the context here, folks, is let's say you're going to see a new prospective customer, hoping to turn a prospective customer into a paying customer. So what are some of the killer questions they're sometimes called? That sounds awfully grandiose, doesn't it? We just thought we'd really try and drill down. We're not going to suggest to you that there are three magic questions that if you ask them, sales is just suddenly going to come tumbling in. But we we wanted to really hone in and say, okay, what would be kind of sitting in our top three questions that we've all found from experience and that experience of other people are really powerful questions to ask. So hopefully we'll give you a little, uh, you know, sort of like buffet style array of questions from which you can select the favorites and the ones you think that will be really useful for you. So, uh, Mr. Jessen, would you like to lead the charge and give us some lead thoughts? the lead the charge to the buffet? Yes, I'm. I'm <laughs> well. I'm very well qualified to lead the charge to the buffet, and um, perhaps I could suggest as a starter <laughs> uh, a starter question um, <clears throat> that uh, so, sometimes I think when we go and see somebody for the first time. Uh, salespeople will wrongly think that that is a cold call, but we should not forget that in the back of the prospect's mind somewhere is a very good reason why they've agreed to see the salesperson. So simple as it is, I think one of the most important questions we should ask when going to see a prospect is when I spoke to you on the phone the other day, or whatever it was, but when I spoke to you on the phone the other day and you agreed to see me, what was it that prompted your interest? That little question, what was it that prompted your interest, is probably going to do a fair amount to identify a current need or a current problem or something that might just be in the background and the customer is, the prospect is merely 
toying with it at the moment, but however you want to word it, uh, what we're really saying is, why did you agree to see me? That's that's really what we're what we're saying. So I would offer that as one of the important questions that should come early on in that discussion. Yeah, and then I would say probably sort of triggered, inspired by what you've said there, because you said this this will probably give you some indication of potential needs. Um, these are not necessarily questions, but but question categories that I, I think is really important to ask is to find those needs, find the problems the customer or the challenges, if you want to use different. And, and people often, a lot of salespeople will know that, you know, find the customer's problems. But then I think you've got to probe deeper, probing questions into what impact is that issue, is that challenge, is that problem having on your business financially, strategically, from an employee engagement point of view. So what's the nature of the problems and what's the impact? And then if you are, when you're going to think about positioning your solution to the customer, what are the outcomes the customer wants to achieve, the results, the outcomes they want? And if they achieve that, what would that bring them that they wouldn't have already? So it's kind of like the away from towards motivation as well, drivers, you know, the motivation to move away from problems and pain, discomfort, and the motivation to move towards comfort, pleasure, yeah. solutions, outcomes. So I think those two okay. kind of will be two categories of yeah. questions that I think you, you, and then put, you can obviously, our listeners can put their own yeah. phraseology on those. I think another thing that all three of us are always talking about and we're always surprised when we see it is the amount of time that salespeople will bore the pants off a new prospect by talking about their company. We were formed in 1923. We're international. Don't you know we've got an office in Milan? And so it goes on. But the very simple question, how much do you know about us? is designed to find out from the prospect how much they know. Have they been on our website and seen a little bit about us? Or do they know absolutely nothing? In which case we will know how much of that introduction piece that we need to cover. But the number of times I've been on a joint visit with salespeople that launch into a lengthy five to ten minute introduction with the poor old prospect sitting there looking very, very restless in their seat. And then the prospect turns around and says, well, yeah, I, I know most of that. Yeah. Well, that cannot happen if, they, if we've said to them, uh, you know, how much do you know about us before I just explain who we are and what we do? Well, Graham's covered this, I know, in earlier episodes, talking about people researching online. We know this happens. It's a change of buyer behaviour probably i think almost almost without exception now phil the the reason they've accepted that you know you'll find when you ask they've accepted you uh, to have the meeting with you is because what they found out about you has motivated them to do so so i think it's almost now without almost without question they will have done some research on you to have a look and they've seen something they're interested in but i think your point's very valid some buyers will have probably done quite a lot of in-depth research on you yeah. whereas others may have had a quick look. So I think you definitely need to understand understand that. I think that's a great... Yeah, and, and, and some buyers will have a red-hot need, uh, and another buyer might just be looking for an alternative supplier in two years' time. 
Yeah. But, well, those are two very, very different types of call, aren't they? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mr. Jones, your thoughts? When we uh, were in the run-up to recording this uh, particular episode, it came out of a point uh, raised by Phil saying, what if the law was changed and you could only ask three questions? And my immediate thought was, which legislator would produce such a stupid law to ask us only, have the opportunity to only ask three questions? Because any legislator in their right mind would have read the Just So stories by Rudyard Kipling, in which there is a story called The Elephant's Child. And in The Elephant's Child, there is a poem uh, written by Rudyard Kipling. And the reason this poem is there is because Rudyard Kipling, for those who don't know about Rudyard Kipling, he is a novelist, uh, poet, and was, when he was writing all this, the Times India correspondent. So he was a journalist on the Times of London newspaper. And that was his day job. And he wrote all his books and poems in, in the evenings kind of thing. That was his pastime. Um, now, Rudyard Kipling had to interview people and had to ask them lots of questions. And the poem uh, in The Elephant's Child uh, starts with how he does his interviews effectively. And the poems goes, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. And there are your six questions. And they're the only six questions you ever need to ask. What do you want? Why do you want it? When do you want it? How do you want it delivered? Where do you want it delivered? And who's paying? There's your six questions yeah? or any formula thereof. Yeah. So if we ask three questions, we're denying ourselves the chance of the other three, which give us real crucial information. And of course, all of these questions are open questions that just get the other side to talk. And any good salesperson knows that it's better that the other side talks than we do. Absolutely. But I think to Phil's, to Phil's point, and I know it was, it was obviously, it was said in jest, if you can. Yeah, I know. Law against three, three, can only ask three questions. You've got to be prepared sometimes, particularly the higher up the organisational hierarchy you go, that your meeting could get cut short. Now, sometimes because you've messed up and it's cut short and that's not a good place to be. But sometimes something will happen and they may say, I'm really sorry, I've only got 10 minutes. Right. So I think, you know, Phil's point is worth considering, you know, what's your absolute, what's the absolute stuff that you you must you must find out. You know, and I would say you you should be particularly at early stages you should be asking questions to qualify the opportunity how viable is this opportunity you know like the classic ibm bant bant qualification i think that's probably the first one budget authority needs timing and there are other you know other different qualification processes but you're trying to work out how viable is this opportunity and how likely are we to win it i think your good qualification questions would be the ones if i only had 10 minutes and it's an early stage i'd want to be finding out you know is this worth me investing more time because it you know it helps you helps your productivity one that I was taught many, many years ago was, which I've used in, in different ways um, since, is what's most important to you. So Mr. or Mrs. Customer, you know, when you're thinking of, you know, changing supplier or when you're thinking of bringing in a new piece of equipment, what is most important to you? And you can get some great 
responses back. Sometimes, by the way, as a word of warning, you sometimes get a moment or two of silence because it's what our friend Matt Crabtree, and from the, uh, who's a member of the Professional Speaking Association, calls um, he calls them BGQs. I think it is, which is bloody good questions. He said, when the customer says to you, "Wow, that's a good question," or "That's made me think," that's that's what he calls those. And you will often find what's most important to you. They will they will go off inside and process that one. Um, which means it's a good, it's a, it's what Matt would call a bloody good question. <laughs> and then, of course, if they give you some answers, you can then probe further. You know, I could ask you why that's so important to you, or you know, and you dig and you dig and you dig and you you dig down into finding out finding out what that is. So that would definitely be the one, one for me. Okay, I think I think another one for me is to recognise that the prospect is probably using the services of another supplier, yeah. namely one of our competitors. And as we all know, uh, we can't knock the competitor. But the great thing about selling is that the customer can knock our competitor. So I've always been a great fan of the question that says, how do you feel about the service you're getting at the moment? And where do you feel it could be improved? Yeah. And even if that happy customer was to say, well, generally speaking, most of the time, it's a good service. I'd give them seven out of 10. That still suggests that we can close that gap down and provide the eight and the nine and the 10 that provides the full service. So I love that question because it means that the customer knocks our competitor sometimes in no uncertain terms if they want to have a quick mm. rant about the delivery times being slow or the mm. product development not being quick enough or whatever but it's a great opportunity for them to talk emotionally about some of the things that our competitors are not doing well or even if they are doing them well what's that small chink in the armour that we can drive a wagon and horses through in order to score the 10 out of 10. I'd say yeah, you're, you're mentioning that, that sort of scale of 1 to 10. Just to slightly expand on your point, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate this or how comfortable? That scale of 1 to 10 question is a great question to ask. Uh, you can use it, you know, sales managers listening in, you know, coaching your sales team on a scale of one to 10, how confident are you? You can manage this problem with a customer. It's a, it's a great way of just calibrating where they are and then asking, could I ask you why it's a six or a seven or what will we need to do to make it a nine? It's a great question to ask. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a really flexible kind of question you can use in all sorts of different situations. Phil, I'm very surprised that our resident NLP expert, uh, Mr. Hazeldean, has not <laughs> spoken about the actual words you might use in the questions themselves. Um, NLP, for those of you who don't know what it means, it means nothing like psychology. Um, that, that's Open the real def resident psychologist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, asking questions with embedded commands. Yes, is a really good way of asking questions. So an example would be saying something like, you know, how how do you see this 
solution being solved once you've bought our product yeah. or once you've bought our service. Because the embedded command is you, they are now imagining that they've actually bought it. So they're in a different, their mind is in, okay, I've bought that product and this is what the solution, this is how work is going to be here. This is how life is going to be with that product. So you're getting information back from them as to actually how they see the solution being solved. So you can adapt your delivery to solve that problem for them and therefore tailor the product or service better to them. But at the same time, they're already thinking they've bought it. Yeah. They're kind of using it, um, I guess using questions. I didn't know we were doing hypnotic selling in this episode. Go Sorry, on, but uh, but if you've only got three questions, yeah, then using embedded commands is a really important. And I would say, I think, and I know that um, you know, I know your views of NLP from your from your perspective. Um, and there is there are some good bits of it, don't and I? there are. And I, I was yeah. about to say, yeah. what I would say is is some of the original work that was done by the you know by Richard Bandler and John Grinder into the meta model, which is the uh, which is the sort of questioning framework to a degree, and the Milton model based on modeling the work of Milton Erickson, the hypnotherapist, those two original pieces of work in there are probably worth salespeople paying paying attention to. The meta models are very good. Um, uh, I think way of, of helping you to understand how powerful precise questions can be yeah. in the Milton model, very good for that kind of influential communication. But that's very, very close to the original source and the work and the work that was done, you know, which is which is different to maybe some of the other stuff that uh, that's that's been around or neuro linguistic Satanism, as our good friend David Heiner uh, called it one time. <laughs> <laughs> so, it's, uh, uh, gentlemen, any last uh, great questions? It's when you were. Um, when you were just mentioning Phil, uh, you can only ask three questions. It's like a question my son always likes. To, he, always, he loves these sort of questions. Like, if you could only eat one thing for breakfast for the rest of your life, what would it what be? Would it and he, he, yeah. he loves these. And I always respond, well, it's never going to happen. So it's a really pointless question, isn't it? And he goes, yeah, yeah and if you could only yeah. watch one television. Pro- or whatever. He loves, he, loves those, he loves those kind of questions. He drives me, drives me around the wall. Well, what, one of the things that you mentioned a few minutes ago was, following up some of these questions with more probing, penetrative uh, questions to find out a lot more detail. And one of the models that we talked about before on a previous episode was uh, the three Fs, which are facts, figures, and feelings. And that's quite a good model for drilling down on, in fact, I've actually gotten that 3F model wrong. Correct. Let me just correct myself. It's the facts, the feelings, and the future. Those are the 3Fs. So let's imagine that during the questioning, uh, the salesperson might be saying, well, how do you feel about the service that you're getting at the moment from your existing supplier? Uh, And out comes the issue that one of the facts at the moment is that the supplier is always late on delivery to that prospect. If that is the fact, uh, then comes the feeling, you know, saying to the prospect, well, you know, how do you you feel about that? What does does that mean? And when the prospect says, well, it causes me a lot of grief because this happens and this happens and we're not able to meet customer deadlines. You've then got the last F question, which is, well, how, how would you like to see it change in the future? 
well, these 14 days need to be down to one or even less, blah, blah, blah. Now we know, having gone through that, facts, feelings, future, three F questions, we've got a lot more information as a result of those early questions. So probably we're being a little bit mischievous with our three questions. It's three questions which we need to drill down on yeah. in each of those cases yeah. in a lot more detail, which I, which I guess is... Uh, uh, I guess that's going to be understood by listeners. Yeah. Listen what I really like about your your three Fs, Phil, <clears throat> is you are specifically asking about feelings, and you're asking using specific language to ask about that, and you're going to get a very different response from someone when they process that question to when they process maybe a, a more factual. But also, <clears throat> we you know we know now the enormous role that emotion plays in decision making. So therefore, we should make sure we're asking questions about that as well. Yeah. As we you know, neuroscience very clearly showing the role of emotion, as, you know, as though we didn't know it already. But um, <laughs> you know, I think it's just proved how important it is. So make sure yeah. we make sure we do that. So anything. Uh, any closing thoughts, gentlemen? I would just uh, suggest that you think carefully about, you know, that Phil's idea of having three questions is really focusing your mind on the questions yeah. you really need to ask and the way you need to ask them. Uh, particularly if you've got limited time, uh, you really need to have, uh, you know, really precise questions and really focused questions rather than just, you know, yeah. what do you want and uh, how can I help you? Those kind of things yeah. are useless questions. Uh, so the notion of only having three questions focuses your mind yeah. to make sure that you've, you're really asking questions that are yeah. going to lead to a sale. And I, I, think, say... I think it's also about, you know, writing them down uh, almost so that they become a little menu of questions that you might decide to ask in a certain order depending on what's happening in the call but they're not they're not a script as such but they're little prompts to make sure that you're you're rolling with the conversation as it develops but if you don't write them down in the first place you're probably going to miss some of the subtlety around yeah. the the wordsmithing that we've yes. talked about on this uh, episode yeah i think i i would just um absolutely you know absolutely endorse that as a discipline and just to just to pick graham up on something where you said if you're short of time you know make your questions i think you said right so i would just think we should always yeah do we should be always be respectful of our customers time buyers time with salespeople is probably going down at the moment not going up so we should always make the absolute best use because if we if we ask those really great questions we've had a really great meeting the customer thinks it's a really great meeting you have got yourself invited back because they know you are a respectful prepared professional person who who adds value in the interactions you'll get seen again rambling questions wasting their time too much time you're going to struggle you're going to struggle to get back and, and see them for that second time. So I think always, you know, really, really, really important thing to do. But obviously, as Graham says, you know, it is if time is short, you've got to be really on your game, really, 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 really on your game. And it's sometimes it's a little pushback sometimes from prospective customers. If, you know, they'll they'll say to you something like, well, if, you know, I've only got 20 minutes or something, because they often do that to give themselves a get out of jail free card if it turns into a dreary, another dreary, boring supplier. And, you know, many good salespeople will have heard that 
thousands of times and they're still talking to the customer two hours later right and they're saying it to give themselves an excuse yeah. to get rid of you so don't yeah. you know don't worry if that happens but use the 20 minutes often it just often it just vanishes so uh you know add value make sure the questions are valuable and really get the customer thinking as well if you see the cogs whirring you know the questions landed. So thank you very much for listening to this episode. Hopefully that's given you some valuable food for thought on some of your favorite questions. Do let us know um, at the Sales Chat Show what your favorite questions are, and we can feature them in another episode. And, you know, please share share your wisdom, and uh, we'll then share your wisdom on with uh, other people in some subsequent episodes. So there are probably fast approaching 200 or so episodes of the sales chat show in the back catalog they're all available all the time saleschatshow.com website or from whichever platform or provider you prefer to get your podcast from you'll find our episodes and be able to subscribe so you get notified of forthcoming episodes in the meantime it's been phil jesson graham jones and i'm simon hazeldean for the sales chat show saleschatshow.com driving your sales forward we just want to wish you good luck and good selling folks you have been listening to an episode of the sales chat show to stream or download a host of further free episodes that will power your sales success please visit saleschatshow.com thank you very much for listening to this episode and from everyone here at the sales chat show we'd like to wish you good luck and good selling (laughs) 